What if the thing that you desire most in life was able to be accomplished regardless of the circumstances that came your way? I mean, the result would be this incredibly hope-filled perspective in life, wouldn't it? I mean, if, if the thing that you desire most in life was able to be accomplished regardless of the circumstances, it would fill your heart with joy. Obstacles would become platforms and preferences could be laid aside easily. Fear and cynicism wouldn't have an atmosphere to thrive and joy would be the defining characteristic of your life. That's the experience of the Apostle Paul as he writes to the Philippians in chapter one, in particular verses 12 through 26. And it's meant to be the experience of every follower of Jesus. And so let's explore that text together. Look with me in Philippians chapter 1. We'll begin in verse 12. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Yes, I will rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me, Yet which shall I choose? I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My, my desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. We'll stop there. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would give us a, a single passion that colors our entire lives. That you would give us a desire to see your son Jesus honored in our lives. In Christ's name, amen. Three things we see here in this text, one, obstacles become platforms. Two, the thing you desire most. And three, preferences are laid aside. So number one, obstacles become platforms for the progress of the gospel. Obstacles become platforms for the progress of the gospel. Hope, joy, confidence, anticipation, and expectation, it just fills this portion of Paul's letter 
to the Philippians. You see it, right? As, as we're reading this together, this, this letter is filled with hope and joy. This portion of the letter is filled with this, this resounding confidence. And he's writing from prison. He's writing from a prison cell, most likely in Rome. And so this imprisonment, which of course would seem to be an, an obstacle, has actually become a platform. What was intended to oppose and silence the good news about Jesus has become the very means of seeing its progress, its advancement, and in ways that Paul couldn't have imagined or even caused to happen on his own. It's beautiful. I mean, look, look what he says here in verse 12. I want you to know, hey, Philippians, I, I want you to know what's going on here. Brothers, what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. This imprisonment has really served to advance the gospel. So what's happening? People who otherwise would not have heard the good news about Jesus are hearing it. He says in verse 13, it's become known throughout the whole imperial guard. Throughout the whole imperial guard, this elite group of soldiers, of Roman soldiers, who were guarding Paul. It's become known throughout the whole imperial guard that my imprisonment is for Christ. Christ, we know, is a title. It's the Christ, the king. So it's become known throughout the whole imperial guard that my imprisonment is for the king. So among the elite soldiers of Rome and all the rest, this would include government officials when he speaks, all the rest. So we've got the, the imperial guard and all the rest, the government officials, other high-ranking officers, people who would not be extremely accessible people who would not have readily given the Christians a platform to speak or would have given Paul the time of day. But he has their attention now. They know, they know why he's in chains. They've witnessed the support of local churches coming to Paul's aid. They've heard of Paul's trials one after the next, appearing before one governor and then another governor, years of being put on trial and then making an appeal to Caesar himself, and for what? Because of his faith in the king. Because of his loyalty to Jesus, the king. And this good news, this, this proclamation of the good news of Jesus, it's making progress it's making progress among what we could say is an unreached people group, this imperial guard and other officials. Here is a group of soldiers and officials pledged to serve Caesar, pledged to defend the Roman king, coming face to face with the one who is pledged to serve the king of kings, Jesus. Jesus, the king of kings, is working behind the scenes and in ways Paul could never have planned. Listen, nobody, none of the Philippians wanted Paul in prison. The church was praying earnestly for his release. And that's good, that's, that's, that's good. But what was God doing in it and through it? My prayer has, has been that this, this portion would really encourage you, encourage us, because it's so, it's so easy to be discouraged when our plans don't go the way we want our plans to go when we're facing yet another circumstance, yet another obstacle, yet another barrier, it seems. But look what happens. Verse 14, followers of Jesus who before were afraid to speak of Jesus, they're finding inspiration 
renewed confidence. They're emboldened to speak the word of God without fear. That's what's happening. I mean, you know as well as I do that fear has a crippling effect. We can get all prayed up. We can get all excited about speaking the gospel to our friends and our neighbors and our coworkers. And then we, we, we go out and, and, then, and then all of a sudden fear grips our heart and we remain silent. It has this crippling effect. Paul's imprisonment, it was intended to be a barrier. And now it's being used to break down barriers of all kinds. Not only in his present circle, but in other people's lives. You see, his imprisonment becomes an inspiration for others who are not so bold, fear and anxiety, the fear of losing safety or reputation. All of that is is just being pushed down, bulldozed. We can easily live our lives with our heads down, afraid to speak of Jesus, tired of the brokenness around us, unaware of the work of the gospel throughout our city, throughout our world. We read the headlines and we get really sad, really depressed, and we see all the brokenness. God, where are you? But God is at work. He is at work. Obstacles, barriers, perceived barriers and obstacles are becoming platforms for the proclamation and the progress of the gospel all around the globe. The most powerful witness on the planet are not those who can rattle off all the right doctrine. All the right doctrine. The most powerful witness on the planet are not those who can sing the latest and greatest worship song. The most powerful witness on the planet are those who take obedience to Jesus the King seriously. Individuals who are willing to step out with courage and sacrificial love. Aren't we seeing that now with brothers and sisters in Afghanistan? House churches that are being threatened and and many who have already given up their lives with the Taliban takeover. Precious saints, beautiful faith, courageous obedience. It's on display. But what does that do? I'll tell you what it, it did for the Philippians when they saw that in Paul. Oh, Paul's in prison? Oh, he's willing to give his life? Let's go. I've been shrinking back for too long. I'm going to roll up my sleeves. Let's go. I'm not in prison. So with what freedom I have, let me go. Let me be a bold witness. You see what it does? It emboldens them. And the same can be true of us when we, we hear about brothers and sisters around the globe facing opposition and persecution. What does that do? How does that stir your heart? What freedoms and rights and grace has God given us here in the city of St. Pete? What gifts and talents and opportunity are just laid out before us? But maybe we've been afraid, and so now we, we look at them. They have gunned to their head in Afghanistan, and we say, okay, let's go. Let's go. We can't wait for our circumstances to be just right. It won't happen. You know, it would, it would have been very easy for Paul to say, I'm just going to wait until I get out of prison, and, and then I'll, I'll really get on with things. That's, that's when the gospel will really pro- progress in advance, when I'm out of prison. He doesn't do that. It's easy for us to think, 
Uh, all right, I'll, I'll be able to serve Jesus better when I'm done with high school or when I'm done with college or when I've got, you know, the right job or when I've got my, my family, my 2.5 kids or when I'm retired. I've got all that free time. I don't meet a lot of retired people who have a lot of free time. Uh, but here, here's what happens. Paul's imprisonment, this real big obstacle, this real big barrier, or seemingly big obstacle, it became a platform for the progress of the gospel. His chains became a microphone, a rallying call, an inspiration. Then we see another barrier. In verses 15 through 18, teachers who are filled with envy and rivalry, opposition, they're looking for the spotlight, and they're happy that Paul's not in it. They're just filled with this selfish ambition. And they, they want to stir up trouble for Paul. They're happy that Paul is out of the way. They want to ruin his reputation. Now, no one knows exactly who this, this crew is, who these guys are. And that, that's not the point. I think the point is how Paul responds to these guys. Instead of being filled with discouragement and bitterness, instead of letting how they feel about him consume his thoughts, he didn't need to be liked by everyone. Instead of that, what does Paul do? He rejoices. He's filled with gladness. He's full of joy. He doesn't give in to fear. He doesn't give in to cynicism or bitterness. He doesn't give that cynicism and bitterness an atmosphere to thrive in, to live in. Instead, he's marked by joy. And instead of becoming an obstacle, this too becomes a platform for the gospel. Do not allow resentment or bitterness, or cynicism to hinder what Jesus wants to do in and through you. We have these barriers, all of us. If you've been in the church for any length of time, you've witnessed things that have hurt you, you've experienced things, you, you've experienced people with selfish ambition, maybe at first it seemed like, hey, they, they, they were like legit, and then after a while you see, wow, there, there's a lot of self-interest there, and you've been hurt by it. But you're here today, and I'm thankful for that, but do not allow bitterness, this cynicism, this, you know what, I'm done with all things Christian kind of attitude to mark you or hinder what, what Jesus has, has called you to do. And look how Paul responds. There's, there's an example here for us to imitate. He's basically saying, it doesn't matter to me what their motive is, whether they're putting up a front or whether they're legit. What matters to me is that Christ is, pro, is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Is he for real? He is for real. And it's, it's liberating. He's not holding on to this, I don't know, animosity and bitterness towards those who don't like him. He's let it go. What does it matter? If Christ is proclaimed, I rejoice. Second, the thing that you desire most, we're talking about ambition and joy that is rooted in Jesus. Because joy and anticipation and hope begin to spill over in what Paul says next, in what he knows. Look what he says in verse 19. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. Look what he says here. 
through your prayers and the help of the spirit of Jesus. This is what he's confident in. He knows that he will be delivered. He will be uh, set free. Is this, is this deliverance rooted in his release from prison or is this deliverance about his standing before Jesus? Um, either way, he's confident in the prayers of the saints and the prayers of the Philippian church and he's confident in the help of the spirit of Jesus Christ. So do you see the importance of prayer and the role and the priority of prayer in the life of the early church? And do you understand the priority of prayer in our life as a community and how much it encourages others and brings joy and strength? And do you see the help that Paul leans on here? The spirit of Jesus is his help. The spirit of Jesus? In Romans 8, Galatians 4, Acts 16, all refer to the spirit of Jesus. Romans 8, actually, Paul writes to the church in Rome and he talks about the spirit of God, the spirit, the spirit of Jesus. In Matthew 28, Jesus himself said, hey, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you and and know this, I will be with you to the end of the age. And then he ascends. I thought you were gonna be with us. We look then in Acts chapter two, and what happens? He sends the Spirit, his very presence, God's presence with his church. Jesus will be with us to the end. Jesus was with Paul to the end. Jesus will be with us to the end. Do we, do we know this? There is so much for us to learn in this one verse. I, I kept returning to it all week. He found so much joy and rest in, in these two things, the prayers of the Philippians and the help of the Spirit. I, I want you to see in Romans how he writes to the church in Rome about the help of the Spirit. In Romans chapter eight, beginning in verse 26, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. Just pause there for a moment. Celebrate that truth. The Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as, as we ought. Amen to that. Sometimes I'm just like, what? What do I pray about this circumstance? So I don't know sometimes. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is in the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, All things work together for good. This was his confidence in writing to the Romans. This is his confidence when writing to the Philippians. And it's interesting to me that obstacles that have become platforms for the progress of the gospel can can still be circumstances that you pray to be delivered out of. He's in prison. He's wanting to be delivered, and yet that obstacle become platform is a good thing that's happening. The Lord's using it. He says, this will all turn out for my deliverance. Verse 20, we see this confidence continue to overflow. He says, basically he's saying, and this is, is what I'm longing for. This is what I'm leaning into. This is my passion and desire. This is what I want the most. This is what I want the most, that Christ would be honored. And that word honored, it means amplified. I love that. Maybe because I'm a, a musician, um, I think of an amplifier, you know, you just plug your, your, uh, your, your guitar in and crank it to 11 and just let it reverberate. He's saying, this is my, 
greatest desire, that Jesus is amplified, that Jesus is honored, that Jesus is magnified, made known. He's heard, he's seen, he's put on display in my body, whether by life or by death. That, that was his greatest desire. Is it yours? And he, he talks about this eager expectation, and this word literally means to strain toward something with an outstretched body, with this concentrated effort, this intense hope, which ignores every other interest around it. He's saying, this is my focus. This is my defining passion. This is my ambition and joy and desire and drive in life. Now, I'm not saying that you can't be passionate about basketball or football or your children or your wife. I would encourage you, if you have children, that you should be passionate about them. Or a wife, you should be passionate about her. But what is the, the defining passion of your life? This is what he's talking about. The defining desire and ambition is to honor Jesus. To see Jesus amplified, held high, heard and seen in his life, in his body. This is the thing that Paul desires most. It's the driving ambition, and it becomes the unshakable joy of his life. It colored everything. It colored everything. He knew the story of Jesus. He knew that that story was the defining story of his life. That's the, the title of our series in Philippians, the defining story of our lives. What is the defining story of your life? For, for Paul, the defining story of his life was the story of Jesus, who was falsely accused, who suffered on a cross. It's the story of God turning the greatest obstacle on the planet, the greatest, the greatest seemingly barrier, I mean, death, or crucifixion, rather, and then death. I mean, can you think of a greater obstacle than that? And so it's, it's the story of God taking the greatest obstacle and creating the greatest platform from it through resurrection. And so, listen, through that story, Paul walks away with at least this conclusion, God, you are big enough to work out your purposes through the darkest of circumstances. You are big enough. And that colored his life. You, you turned everything around through crucifixion and death and through that bringing life and hope where an execution stake now becomes the greatest symbol of life and hope and love, and we wear it around our necks. The greatest barrier, greatest obstacle becoming the greatest platform. And that's why he could say what he says next in verse 21. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. He's saying it's a win-win. Deliverance regardless, hope regardless. Now, you might sit there and think, wait a minute, since when did life and death become equally attractive options? This isn't life versus death. This is life versus more life. Both options are solid. Both mean that we gain something that's been won for us through the cross of Christ. If I go on living, for to me to live is Christ. Let's go. Let's be about his glory and honor. Whatever comes my way, and if I die, it means more life. I'm in the presence of Jesus. Now, our culture would scream, this is all there is. This is it. So eat, drink, be merry. Tomorrow you die, and you're done. 
So we're pushing against what our culture is screaming. It's an, it's an important verse here, and it's a short verse. It's, it's a punchy verse. I mean, it's, it's something that we can hold on to. It's important to memorize and pray and allow to recenter and bring perspective because passion is found here. Purpose is found here. Perspective is gained here. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. So because, because Paul lived for Jesus, everything was different in his life. His entire outlook was changed. So are we willing? Are we willing to let go of comfort and security, even our reputation, as long as people are hearing about Jesus? How would we rewrite this sentence found in verse 21? For to me, to live is, you fill in the blank, and to die is, what would happen if your closest friend filled in the blank for you? What would they write? What would, what would happen if your spouse filled in the blank? Again, I'm not saying that you can't be passionate about fishing. <laughs> but what is, what is the thing that defines you? What, what is the thing that you, you want to do while you're fishing? I want to honor the Lord Jesus. I want to see him high and exalted. I want to see him honored in all that I do and how I love my wife, how I serve my kids, how I go about my work, how I, how I treat my neighbor, how I respond to those who don't like me. This includes social media, by the way, guys. Look now in verses 22 through 24, he's basically saying, listen, if, if I don't die here in this prison, it will mean um, fruitful labor, but I'm torn because I want to be with Christ is what he's saying. My desire is to depart and be with Christ. He says, for that is far better. And, and that, that language, it's, it's just so superior, so much more valuable. We, we don't have a lot of passages that speak about life after death this way. I, I want us to find comfort here. He had this, just this confidence that to depart, he knew that when he died, he would be with Christ. To be absent from the body was to be present with the Lord Jesus. And I can remember sitting with a friend who was dying of pancreatic cancer, and we were reading, actually, the book of Philippians, and we came to this section, and, and she goes, really? Her name's Barb. Really? Is he going to be there for me? He goes, how is that going to be possible with all the other people dying in this world? <laughs> I said, Barb, I don't know. <laughs> she goes, well, if I, if I can figure it out, you know, or if, I, if I can come back and let you know, I'll let you know. <laughs> I'm like, okay, you do that. Well, she knows. And she knows it's better by far. There was a tug of war happening in Paul because he knew what was needed, what would be better for the Philippians, but he also knew what his preference was. And that leads us to our final point. Preferences are laid aside for the progress of the gospel, for the joy and progress of others in the gospel. Preferences can easily be laid aside. Paul knew that he would remain with them, with the Philippians, for their progress and joy in the faith. You know, 
this word progress that we see here in these closing verses of our text, it's, it's the same Greek word found in verse 12 where he talks about the advancement of the gospel, the advance of the gospel. Both communicate the same idea, advance and progress. And it's a way to emphasize what's being said. It encapsulates this section of the letter being read out loud to the Philippian church. He's saying the gospel will advance and you will advance in the faith in the gospel. That was reason enough for Paul to lay aside his preferences. So what preferences need to be laid aside right now for the sake of others? What preferences do you need to lay aside right now for the sake of local church St. Pete, for the people sitting to your right and left, for the people in the first gathering? For our progress and joy in the gospel, because this is not just about you or about me. It's about us. Is there a growing desire to see others grow in the faith? To grow in joy in the gospel. That is a real sign of health and maturity, if that's there. If it's not there, if this is new to you, pray for it. Ask the Lord, give me a greater desire to see others grow. You know what that'll do? It'll it'll hold you accountable to be a part of this community and not treat it as simply an event. And not treat it as something that it's, it doesn't matter whether or not you're a part of it because you realize, no, I get to be a part of something where I can help and long for the, see others grow in their faith as well. And my presence there matters. And my participation and my encouragement and my prayer, it all matters. Is this the desire of our hearts? Whether or not plans go the way you think they should, regardless of the number of haters that have lined up to criticize you, no matter how many times you've been let down by the twisted motives of others, don't give in to fear. Don't give in to cynicism. Don't give in to bitterness. Don't give those things an atmosphere to thrive in. No. Joy is your song because Christ is your life. So what obstacles are you facing right now? Right now that the Lord is inviting you to see as a platform for the advance of the gospel. And what preferences do you need to lay down today for the progress and the joy of others? If Jesus is the driving ambition, if Jesus is the unshakable joy of your life, you can face any and every circumstance and you can adopt the words of Paul and make them your own. You can, with faith, say, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. You see, it's a win-win. It's deliverance regardless. It's hope regardless. I believe the result of that will be an incredibly hope-filled perspective in life, one where joy is the defining characteristic. And that's my prayer for you. Let's pray. Lord, thank you. Thank you that we could gather here this morning and hear your word proclaimed. We ask that the story of Jesus would be the defining story of our lives. We ask that it would color everything. And we pray that, Lord, you would give us an earnest desire to see Jesus honored, amplified, exalted, high and lifted up in our lives. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Amen.